Amen. We're in Jeremiah chapter 11 tonight. Jeremiah chapter 11. And we'll be going to chapter 17. So hopefully you guys did your seven chapter reading assignment this week. And don't worry. This week you guys have a much shorter assignment. It's 18, 19, and 20. So we're making up. So 18, 19, 20 will be what you guys should read throughout this week. Maybe read each chapter twice and then you're good. Um, But tonight we're going to go through 11 through 17. And let's read two passages, then we'll pray and we'll begin. So let's read together 11 verse 1. These are two sermons that Jeremiah is publicly preaching. So we're going to read these two sermons. 11 verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. Telling them, listen to my voice and do all that I commanded you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, So be it, Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey nor incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his heart. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not Again, the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I bring, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings, but they cannot save them in the time of their trouble. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. Therefore, Jeremiah Do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf. For I will not listen when they call to me in the time of trouble. Now chapter 17, verse 19. 17, 19. His second sermon. Thus said the Lord to me. Go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah, the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, take care 
for your sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not, cry, uh, do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And people, verse 26, shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negeb, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy, and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and shall not be quenched. His two sermons. Let's pray. Father God, teach us to listen to your voice. Jesus said that your sheep hear his voice and know his voice. And they do not recognize the voice of a stranger because they do not know that stranger's voice. Lord, I pray that you open ears to know your voice, to know how to follow, to know where you're leading, and to grow accustomed to and familiar with your presence with us. And please don't stop speaking to us. We need your guidance. We need your shepherding abilities over us. Lest we follow the thief and the robber. So I pray, Lord, as Isaiah prayed over the nation, that you would awaken morning by morning. You would awaken our ears to hear as those who are taught. So teach us, we pray. In your son's name, amen. So the title of this message, believe it or not, there's, there's a continuity that we see uh, specifically bookending the, the first sermon we read in chapter 11 and the second sermon we read in chapter 17. There is this theme of Israel not hearing and not listening and not inclining their ear to Yahweh. So I've titled this message that living means listening. Living means listening. And if I'm not listening, I am not living. Because dead people don't hear. So there's this, there's this message that Jeremiah is pounding into the people of Israel. As you guys need to listen once again. You need to hear my words and hear my voice. 
And this is the basic premise that all of this centers upon is that we don't live and worship a God who is somewhere distant and in some remote location in outer space, some outer heaven that's unattainable and untouchable, and he occasionally bends his ear to listen to us. He actually lives amongst us and with us. And within his people, he's actually inhabited their hearts itself. And that he is speaking and he's always speaking. And it's for us, his people, to turn our ear to what he's saying. Not call his attention to us, but to direct our attention to him. He is a speaking God. And we know that his, his words give life. They bring wholeness. They bring peace and blessing. Because the very beginning of the Bible itself opens up by showing us exactly what God's word does. And it says throughout Genesis 1, God said... And the words brought life. I'm sorry, brought light. God said, and the words divided the waters and created the sky. God said, and, and dry land came out of the waters. God said, and vegetation grew upon this land. And God said, and there were luminaries in the sky. And God said, and there were animals and birds and fish. And God said, and there was man. And that's what God's word does. Is it, is it, speaks blessing it speaks peace it speaks wholeness and life where there is none of that and the jews knew this the three sections of their scriptures the torah the prophets and the psalms or the writings they called them uh, they all begin with the same theme god's word gives life Genesis 1, we talked about that, God's word giving life. Joshua, to the Jews, actually Joshua began the prophets. And in the beginning of Joshua, God is pleading with Joshua, you will have success in the land of Canaan if you hold fast to my word and don't swear to the left or the right. And then the Psalms open up the, the third section, the writings. The Psalms are the first book. And Psalm 1-1 begins with, he who meditates on the word of the Lord will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So it's very clear in scripture that the word of God and his voice is giving to us. And those that receive are receiving fruitfulness and life and blessing. There's this wholeness to them as if there's an emptiness within man. And it's the voice and word of God that echoes into that emptiness and fills it with creation. And, of course, the New Testament opens John's gospel that Jesus is the word that came to speak into the darkness, to bring life, and into death, and to bring life. And Paul says those that have entered into Jesus are a new creation. That is the word, and that is our God who is presently speaking so living means listening, hearing, receiving this voice and this word. Now, in Jeremiah, you guys might have noticed while I was reading the two sermons, the emphasis upon these three ways of saying the same thing. Listen, hear, and incline your ear. Eighteen times one of those are used in our seven chapters tonight. Eighteen times. And the bulk of them are in those two sermons. And it's strange is that of these 18 times when God's pleading them to listen, to hear, and to incline their ear, 
In the very middle of this, it's going to talk about a drought in chapter 14. And in this drought chapter, these words, hear, listen, incline your ear, disappear. (laughs) Is there a correspondence to refusing his voice and drought and dearth and death? So, that's what I want to say is if, if indeed listening brings life, then on the flip side, Jeremiah wants to tell the people, not listening brings death. Or to be deaf is to be dead. It's deaf ears that give way to a dead heart. And that's the bulk of what he has to say now. So let's turn our attention to a couple of these examples Deaf ears lead to a dead heart. We read one of them. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. 1 through 17, pardon me. Um, This is his first message, and it's the example of the broken covenant. And he tells them over and over, you guys broke the covenant, you broke the covenant, you broke the covenant. Why? Because you didn't listen. You didn't hear his words. You didn't incline your ear to what he was saying. Instead, you turned a deaf ear towards God. You stiffened your neck. And he said, no, we won't have it. And so as a result, the covenant was broken. That was the theme of this first sermon here in chapter 11. Jeremiah is telling them the covenant is broken. And the people, when we stop listening to the voice of God, we stop being the people of God. That's what the broken covenant means. Israel stopped listening to the voice of God. Hence, they stopped being the people of God. And that you see there in verse Four, I commanded your forefathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace saying, listen to my voice and do all I command you. So as a result of listening, so shall you be my people and I will be your God. And so when we cease hearing the voice of God, we cease being the people of God. And that's part of our definition as a church The people of God who join together is that we're a people who are listening to his voice. And when we stop, something is broken. Something isn't transpiring that should be. We're no longer being the embodiment of the word of God. Second example that Jeremiah has for the people is in chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, it's the loincloth. I know you're reading, you're like, wow, God makes Jeremiah do weird things. He doesn't just preach, he has to do things. <laughs> Illustrations. What kind of weird people do that? So in Jeremiah 13, uh, Jeremiah is told by God to go get a loincloth, something that you would wear around your loins, and it would, it's meant to dress the person. It's meant to enhance the person's appearance as all of our clothes are meant to do. Now, Jeremiah puts it on, and after he wears it around for some time, God tells him to take it off and to go bury it by the river in Euf- the river Euphrates. And so he buries it. And then God, some time later, says, go and get the loincloth. And he gets it. And the whole thing's tarnished, and it's ugly. And it, it, you, he can't even wear it. It's, it's unusable. 
And so God, through this illustration, wants to, through Jeremiah, say this to the people. Verse 8 is where the application comes in. 13.8, he says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Just as the loincloth was spoiled, the people of Jerusalem will become spoiled. Uh, Verse 10, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For, verse 11, as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. And so this is what God says, is that they were to be for me like a loincloth. And and everybody who puts their clothes on expect their clothes to stay on. It's, It's really useless if your garments can't stay on and they're falling off all of the time. And he's saying, because he's telling that the people of Israel were made to cling to Yahweh. They were meant to be like a garment for him. They were to enhance his appearance. They were to be the embodiment of everything he wanted to happen on earth. And they, no longer listening to him and no longer embodying that, became like a loincloth that doesn't stay on a person, a garment that falls off. It becomes worthless. It's something that doesn't fit. It's not fitting. And so as you get rid of clothing like that, God is saying Israel has become useless to me in that way. And that is what we are to be as a people, are those who become like a garment, so to speak, for God. It's that we are enhancing who he is. Not that, not that we can actually make God greater than he is, but we become reflectors of that greatness when we cling to him as we should by listening and obeying and heeding his voice. But as soon as we decide not to do that anymore, we become like a garment that doesn't fit anymore, and we kind of leave him out to dry. And that becomes useless. And so a people who don't listen to the voice of God and hence cling to him by clinging to his words are becoming a people who are no longer enhancing the glory and praise of God. They've become unfitting and useless in that way. So the third illustration that Jeremiah has for the people is chapter 14. So we stop listening to his voice. We stop being his people. That was the broken covenant, chapter 11. The useless loincloth that no longer clings to his words. That's chapter 13. And chapter 14, those who don't listen to God's voice, well, drought. So chapter 14, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns and her gates languish. Her people lament on the ground and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. Her nobles send their servants for water. They come to the cisterns and they find no water. They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads because of the ground that is dismayed. And there is no rain on the land. 
The farmers are ashamed. They cover their heads. Even the doe in the field forsakes her newborn fawn because there is no grass. And the wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. And it goes on to up to verse 12. And then at the end there, verse 11, God says, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offerings, I will not accept them and so forth. So the drought. Deuteronomy 11 talked about, as God is, you know, detailing his covenant with his people and what he expects of them as he's doing things for them. Deuteronomy 11 says that if you hear my words, if you, if you obey me, if you keep this covenant, I will cause rain to come in all of its seasons, the, the early and the latter rains, at all the harvest times, and I will make you guys fruitful and the rains will not cease. Well, we come here in Jeremiah's time and there's a drought. And the drought, according to Deuteronomy chapter 11, is directly correlated to their receiving the law of God and they've refused it. Therefore, God has refused rain upon the land. So there's a drought that is connected to their failure to listen, their deafness. And so many times we want to look at a passage like this and we want to say, mm-hmm, it's right, America. That's why we have droughts in so many states, record low rainfalls. And because we've abandoned our God and we've abandoned the foundations of our nation, And maybe though that could be true, I think that that is a cowardly way for us to read the Bible. Isn't it easy for us to look at that and say, oh yeah, see everybody, get with God and then we'll get rain. But the honest way to read a passage like this is to say that this is not just dealing with geography and physical science. This is dealing with a person's heart and the wholeness of their life. That when I, when I start or cease listening to the voice of God, when I turn a deaf ear to him, I become like an arid, dry land parched in drought. I become useless dust to the people around me. I don't become fruitful anymore. And if life feels empty, it it looks like a desert and there's not a lot of color and there's not a lot of things living and things around you are not thriving. Could it be that you are in the drought of deafness? The dearth that says, I will not hear. And maybe Jeremiah is calling to the people and saying, look at your land because you are possibly drier than the land around you. So we got the broken covenant, the loincloth, the drought, and his fourth example is in chapter 16 of what happens when we turn a deaf ear to the word of God. Chapter 16. Um, now, I assume you guys have read your chapters. And if not, you, you've got, a, you got a free, an easy week coming up, so... No excuse next week, right? (laughs) In chapter 16, you guys read that Jeremiah was told in verses 1 through 4 not to marry or have kids. 
So Jeremiah is a young lad when he was called to be a prophet. He's growing up. He probably has dreams of, you know, maybe he was betrothed to so-and-so down the street and so, so forth. And he's told by God, nope, you're not going to have a normal life. You're going to be that person whom everybody asks over and over. Jeremiah, aren't you like 27 now? Aren't you going to be married any day? Like, what's wrong with you? Get with the culture. And Jeremiah's going to have to go with that at every, you know, encounter with family some of us knew how that was at one time, maybe a long time ago. But, but when those annoying questions come, and there, Jeremiah was that guy, like, nope, not getting married. Nope, not having kids. Jeremiah, you can't marry. You're not going to have a family. And God's reason was because I want you to be a sign to the people that they're going in such a direction, their deafness is leading to such a death that there isn't going to be families in Jerusalem anymore. They're all going to be wiped out by sword, pestilence, and famine. And then it gets worse as chapter 16 goes on. Jeremiah is told not to go to any funerals. Don't mourn for the dead because there's going to be way too much dead any day now that you're not going to have time to mourn for anybody. And then even worse, don't go to any festivals. Don't celebrate with anybody. No parties, Christmas by yourself, Thanksgiving in your hovel. Jeremiah, in short, what God does is he tells him to be disconnected from all relationships, all social gatherings, all of that cultural stuff. You're disconnected, Jeremiah. You're the weird exile. Oh, wait, because that's the message that Jerusalem is going to be like Jeremiah shortly if they don't listen to God's voice. And so that's the summarization in chapter 16, verse 12. Because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. So that's the end of the chapter 16. Disconnection from people is because they refuse to listen. So Jeremiah has to go through this dramatic illustration for the people where he embodies what they're about to go through. Disconnection. And that will often happen to us when we turn a deaf ear to God's voice as we experience disconnection from people. Marriages aren't as whole. The, the, the union and unity is maybe not as full as it could be when one of the spouse or both aren't listening to God's voice. And disconnection can happen. Or we ourselves amongst other people, we, we treat other people as means of making ourselves feel better about ourselves. Or, or we use them to, you know, I, the people I hang out with is to make myself look better. Or I just like them because of what they give to me. And, and this whole selfish game. Why? Because when we don't hear God's voice, we don't even know who we are in relation to his program and in his body. We, we don't understand our place and our identity, and it actually disconnects us from people. Where we should be able to know where we fit with one another and our proper roles, and we're humble, and we're able to uplift each other and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Instead, we weep when others rejoice, and we rejoice when others weep, because we got the whole system backwards, and we want everybody paying attention to us, because we don't understand who we are. The voice of God isn't there confirming who we are as his creation and it leads to disconnect between me and the people around me. These are the four illustrations of what happens when we turn a death, a deaf ear to God, is that it brings death into our own hearts. 
And there's no more wholeness. There's no more that life and blessing and peace and creation that happens when the word of God is spoken into a person. The covenant is broken. When you cease hearing his word, you cease being his people. The loincloth, you're no longer fitting in his plans. The, the drought inside of your heart is nothing to offer other people. There are no waters, living waters going on in there. And then the disconnection. That's what happens when we turn a deaf ear. And then in chapter 11, verse 14, and then chapter 14, verse 11, really the 11, 14, 14, 11, God tells Jeremiah twice, those two verses, don't pray for these people because I will not listen. It's very simple. When God's people stop listening to him, he stops listening to them. That's the pattern that Jeremiah is being told. And let us not, this means, become those people who kind of tell God what to do, but we don't ever listen to him. The, the point he's saying is, I'm not your genie to just do whatever you want me to do. I'm not even going to listen to that if you're not listening to me. And so that final death is your relationship with God dies. It becomes cold, hard religion. Where all you know is a system of things to, to ascribe to and to believe, but there's nothing going on in the heart and through the life. There's no active living God in you. There's no resurrection being demonstrated. It's just this cold, rigid, yup, recite, imitate, blah, blah. And it's just rote. So turning a deaf ear kills everything from the heart to the people around you. So what is Jeremiah to do to remedy this with the people? Um, there's, there's what scholars have called through the book of Jeremiah, um, the confessions of Jeremiah. The confessions. Those are moments where Jeremiah bursts out in sort of this like... Um, private conversation with God that's recorded. And he starts almost just railing on God. They're basically prayers, but they're not the nice little prayers that we all hear at the Thanksgiving meal or in our prayer groups before church starts. They're not those prayers at all. These are prayers where Nehemiah is being raw, real, honest, and he's expressing and venting everything he feels. He's pointing the finger at God and accusing God of the situation he's in. It's all your fault. And if you didn't call me, my life would be good. And he's going off and railing on God. Those are the confessions. And those happen a few times in Jeremiah. And the bulk of them are in our chapters. We're going to see two more next week. But three of them are here in our chapters. Three raw, honest, finger-pointing, accusatory prayers between Jeremiah and God. How does all this work? Well, let's, fight, let's figure this out. Cha uh, chapter 11, verse 18. This is where the first confession comes. The first raw, finger-pointing, honest, argumentative prayer of Jeremiah's. 11, verse 18. It goes to 12, verse 6. Um, Jeremiah is praying here. He's praying because he feels betrayed. He's betrayed by his own hometown. He's betrayed by his family and his friends and the rest of the hometown he's from, Anatoth. So 
This is, what ha- this is what he says in response to this. He hears about family and friends in his hometown, and all of them want to kill him and kick him out and say, you're worthless. You're no prophet of God. And he now comes to God as a result of this betrayal and whines. It's real. It's honest. It's raw. It's accusatory. It's finger-pointing. The skeptics argue with one another, but faith argues with God. And that's what we see in Jeremiah. Skeptics will just, you know, finger point each other and everything is your fault. and It's not my fault, but Jeremiah is brave enough to take it with God himself. They're going to wrestle. And in the end, we're going to see that they're going to worship. This is real prayer. This is, this is no little league dinner table prayers. So 11 verse 18 The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds, but I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me they devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, you test the hearts of the mind, and let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my cause." And God responds in verse 21 concerning the men of Anatoth who seek your life and say, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you'll die by our hand. Therefore, this is the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will punish them. Chapter 12, verse 20, Jeremiah's turn to rant again. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all... Who are treacherous thrive. You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. And let them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the evil of those who dwell in it? The beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, God will not see our latter end. Now God responds in 12.5, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are full, they are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. (laughs) God, it's your fault they're betraying me. And God responds, Jeremiah, man up. This is just your hometown. You're going to go to the kings of Judah. (laughs) You're going to get to the bigger league soon. If you can't run with these men, how are you ever going to run with those horses? Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't listen to man. Don't listen to these people who are accusing you and saying these things. Turn a deaf ear to them and listen to me. So his second prayer in chapter 15, verse 10. fifteen ten. This one, whereas the last one was betrayal, this one is loneliness. Jeremiah feels lonely and it's God's fault. 
Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. Everybody doesn't like me, he's saying. (laughs) Contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Now God responds, have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded for you before the enemy in time of trouble and in the time of distress? Can one break iron, iron from the north and bronze? Your wealth and your treasures, I give you a spoil without price for all your sins throughout all your territory. I'll make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. And then Jeremiah gets even more intense in verse 15. Oh Lord, you know me. Remember me and visit me and take vengeance on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. Your sake, I bear reproach. Verse 16, your words were found. I ate them and your words became to me joy and the delight of my heart. Everything started good, right? For I'm called by your name, O Lord of hosts. But verse 17, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me. Everything started off well. I loved what I did at first. Then people betrayed me. And now you have caused me to be lonely. Everybody thinks I'm a stench. Nobody wants to be with the prophet. Nobody likes Jeremiah. The rumors are flying. And it's your fault I'm alone. That my calling, you told me not to get married, not to go to famines. Uh, to, uh, <laughs> what is it called? Funeral. <laughs> and feasts. It's your fault, God. And sometimes this happens, right? We, we do something for God and we take the bold initiative to confront somebody and the wrong they did to us or whatever it is that happens and, and things don't go out the way we thought they would. And then whose fault is it? Obviously it's God's because he made me do it. And Jeremiah's pointing the finger and he's saying, I sat alone because of you. Curse the day my mother brought me forth. Well, as we've noticed in the last one, God responds when Jeremiah prays this way. And so verse 19, Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you, Jeremiah. You shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, a fortified wall of bronze, and they will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, hush. If you return to me, he's, he's really telling him, repent, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, take those words back. <laughs> because, remember when I called you And you made excuses. I'm only a boy. And remember what I told you, Jeremiah? Do you you remember, church, our first message in Jeremiah? Courage for the call. And God spoke to Jeremiah four images that was to give him courage for the call. And the very first one was the castle. That's what God is saying there in verse 20, that he'll make him a fortified wall of bronze. I'm going to make you a castle and they'll fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. You're going to be a castle. You're going to stand strong. And that's what he told him in chapter one. He told him that I will be with you and no one will prevail against you. So what is God doing? He's saying, Jeremiah, 
Stop your pity party. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. And take courage for the call I called you to. And to instill that courage into him, God reminds him of the day he called him. And he uses some of the same imagery. Jeremiah, remember, I'm going to be with you. How quick we are to throw pity parties for ourselves. You know, woe is me, as he began in verse 15, or verse 10. Woe is me. And we just throw this whole, oh, my life would be so much better if I could just have control of it. Jeremiah, take it back. You know I am with you. So you're not lonely. And then third, uh, chapter 17, verse 14. Seventeen fourteen. This is, he's hurt. So now he's, re, he's, he's praying because he's hurt and it's God's fault. So verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. That's what his hearers are saying. You keep prophesying these things. Make it happen, Jeremiah. We don't think you're telling the truth because it hasn't happened yet. And so he's like, oh, they're taunting me and I hurt. I've been, I've been wounded. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Jeremiah is saying, I did not wish the things I'm prophesying to happen. I'm simply speaking for you, God. Be not a terror to me, verse 17. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. God, why are you doing this to me? I'm supposed to be hiding in you. Verse 18, let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. God, you've got it all backwards. You're hurting me. Uh, You're supposed to be hurting them. Fix it. And so he lets God know how it is. But interestingly, God doesn't respond to this one. Instead, verse 19 opens up a separate sermon Jeremiah, I'm now going to tell you to go preach this. And it's the sermon about them breaking the Sabbath. We read it before we started. We're going to connect that dot in a second. But this is what I get from the confessions, from these prayers of Jeremiah. I get that prayer works two ways. Jeremiah understands his part. And prayer needs to start with my part. It's that I'm to be real before God. Um... My sister talked to me the other, when she was last out here, uh, she talked about felt hat prayers, I think she called them. And she she called it for the fluffy fluff prayers is the other thing she called them. Felt hat fluffy fluff prayers. And they're just the prayers of, oh God, you're so, thank you. And oh, maybe you could possibly help with this. And Jeremiah doesn't do fluffy fluff felt hat marshmallows. He fires rockets, explosive nuclear rockets to the throne room of heaven. And he says, this is really how I feel. And this is really how it is. He is real with God. There's none of this facade, this like, oh, yes, yes. It's, you know, yeah, ministry's hard, but I'll get by. By your strength, God. He lets him know. And that is the first part of ours in worship is to be real. God knows. Let it fly but if you do be ready for god's part because god's part as we see through these prayers is his part is to heal 
we be real, but then he comes in to heal. And that's what he told Jeremiah is, Jeremiah, take that back. You know that I'm with you. you and he, he starts working in Jeremiah. And he, this, is how you, this, is, this is really you, Jeremiah. Now I'm going to come in as a surgeon and I'm going to fix all of this you just vented. And I'm going to make it better. It's not an easy process, but that is the process. We are real. He comes in to heal. Um, one dead saint said that the most important thing in prayer is that we present ourselves as we are before God as he is. The most important thing in prayer is that we present ourselves before God as we are. We present ourselves as we are before him as he is. There's this real authenticity between the two. So what this means is that prayer is a conversation. It isn't that I ramble and rattle off things that I'm feeling and, and then all these things I want and want God to do and then I walk away. I am real, but I am also patient for the moment when God heals and he speaks and i listen conversation prayer is not my words only monologue prayer is a dialogue and i listen in prayer and god's voice is present imagine being at a at a fine restaurant and you you were given a nice private location um, and you're sitting with your significant other at this table, and it's beautiful, you know, dimmed lights, hushed environment, live cello and violin in the corner, swans on the lake to your left, <laughs> candle lights, and there's the waiter with the towel draped over his arm who comes to serve you, and you're having a conversation with you and that person where everything else is dimmed away, fades away, and it's you and them, and there's this back and forthness, right? It's a time of really sharing your heart. And it's a time of listening to them share their heart. That, that's the image of prayer that we have. It's very different than when you leave, you write the check to the waiter and you walk off and you guys go hit the street and there's noise around and your conversation changes, right? It's much more uh, casual. But at the dining table, there's an intimacy there. That's the way prayer works. However, this is the way most of the time prayer looks realistically for a lot of us. We're at the dining table, we come to prayer and we're sitting there and on the other side of the table is ourself. And the waiter comes by every now and then and we order him around say, yes, I'd like this, I'd like that. And then he comes and brings the food and like, oh, the chicken's undercooked. Can you please cook it some more? And, and then every now and then I say, thank you for refilling my pitcher. And oh, you did a great job. Here's a tip. And you write the bill. And then you leave and you don't even remember the waiter ever again. In that setting of prayer, God is not the person on the other end of the table. God is the waiter. And we have this conversation really with ourselves and we kind of order him around, tell him to fix things, say thank you every now and then, leave and that's left off until we come back to the restaurant. But real prayer is a conversation and God is the one on the other end of the table. And it's a talking and a listening. And Jeremiah does that as God speaks. In each of his confession prayers, God speaks back to him. Except for the last one, God speaks back differently. Chapter 17, he says, okay, I heard you vent. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go 
to the gates of the city, and you're going to preach to the kings, the leaders that come in and out, and all the rest of the people, so high traffic area, and you're going to tell them that they have not kept the Sabbath, that they keep doing work on the Sabbath, that they have not learned to rest on the Sabbath, and you're going to tell them that because of that, God is going to kick them out of the land. But do you see this subtle connection? You're going to tell this people, Jeremiah, that they have stopped listening to my voice and that they have turned a deaf ear to me because they have forsaken the Sabbath. Return to the Sabbath, he told them. Because the Sabbath is that moment where we stop doing and we return to being. We have a habit of identifying ourselves with what we do, don't we? Often I see a society around us where we are human doings, not human beings. And our identity and our our sense of importance and self-worth is coming out of a place of what I've accomplished and what I've done. And this is, this is who I am. It's this work. And we have to keep advancing and promoting it. And we live in, and we're, in, we're swamped in this. And we become human doings. We become less than what we're made to be. We, we actually turn a deaf ear to God in all of that because it's all about what I do. The Sabbath is a time where we stop doing and return to being. And we realize who we are as human beings made in the image of God and that there's a God who speaks. And we're not just, we stop doing so that we can start being again. And in that being, we remember that his voice has never stopped. I'm the one who grew deaf. The Sabbath seeks silence so that it can listen. But we're so fearful of that, aren't we? (laughs) We hear the word silence and we're like, yeah, that sounds so, I don't even remember what that sounds like. And we start it for five seconds. (laughs) And then we start filling our space with noise or with other people. And we have such a hard time with silence. And I believe that we fear silence because we fear being who we are. We're so busy doing because we don't want to acknowledge the emptiness of who we are. Silence alerts us to that. And we flee from silence because we want to fill that emptiness with noise. There is a story in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah the prophet He's on the run for his life. It's kind of like Jeremiah. He's just super depressed, lonely, rejected, betrayed. You guys might remember it. He goes to a mountain all by himself in the wilderness. And he's like, is this how I get treated, God? I'm like, your only prophet left, you know. And then you have the fire come, roaring loud. You have the wind come and it knocks rocks off of the of the mountainside. But God's voice wasn't in any of that. And at the very end, it says that Elijah heard the sound of a low whisper. It's the ESV, the sound of a low whisper. And in the, the footnote of my ESV Bible, 
it says that the Hebrew can also be translated the sound of a thin silence. (laughs) And that's where Elijah heard the voice of God. Was when all of that chaos settled down and there was silence, thin silence. And there God spoke and he heard. And Jeremiah was refreshed and he was reinvigorated. And of course, we know that Jeremiah, excuse me, Elijah. And we know that Elijah was a very powerful prophet because he knew where his true power came from. He was a listener to the voice of God. And we can get so busy, you know, read, 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 read the word of God. Read, 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 read read the word of God. Pray, 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 pray our words to God. Pray, pray, pray our words to God. But how often do we stop to listen to the voice of God in our prayers and in our readings? I think we'd be beneficial to while we read and pray and go throughout our day to turn the ear, incline the ear to his voice that is always speaking and to allow those words to become our reign upon our desert. There's a, the image of the almond tree at the very beginning of Jeremiah. Remember that other image that gave him courage? The almond tree was the first to bloom in springtime in Israel. And so you knew that spring was coming because the almond tree started to blossom, beautiful little blossoms. And when you saw that happening, you knew that spring would be fulfilled. You know, it was like the little promise and spring was going to come. And God told Jeremiah, look at the almond tree because that's how my word will be to you. I'm going to say things and it's going to be like the blossom. And then the fulfillment will be like spring. It's going to follow right behind. You have the assurance of the almond tree, the assurance of my words. But here's what's a trip is that the almond tree, that symbol of God's word and his voice coming to pass, it does so without speaking, (laughs) without noise. It's silent. I want to read to you this one quote. It says this about this almond tree. It says, God is present And his thought is alive and awake in the fullness and depth and breadth of the silence of the world. The Lord is watching in the almond trees over the fulfillment of his word. Whether the plane passes by tonight or tomorrow, whether there be cars on the winding road or no cars, whether man speak in the field, whether there be a radio in the house or not, the tree brings forth her blossoms In silence. Whether the house be empty or full of children, whether the men go off to town or work with tractors in the fields, whether the liner enters the harbor full of tourists or full of soldiers, the almond tree brings forth her fruit in silence. And the purpose of that quotation is that it does not matter the noise that is around or the lack of noise that is around. The almond tree keeps doing its work in silence. And so this is what I want to invite us to do. Is to sit under the almond tree. Find your silence where we can regain the Sabbath of seeking and hearing the constant voice of God. That we become not deaf and therefore dead. 
Because to live means we listen. So let's hear the voice of God under our almond tree, wherever that may be. Father, we pray it be so. We pray for a real, honest prayer life that in the midst of our betrayals or our lonelinesses or our hurts, that you would heal us when we are real with you. Help us to frequent that dining table, the shade of the almond tree. Let your word blossom in our life as we listen in silence. Help us to find a Sabbath in our busy lives. In Jesus' name, amen.